The Naive Theater of the Air presents Rewired by Matthew Broyles. Episode 18, Truth as Circe. This is Dr. Nyhart. Good evening, Doctor. It would seem that your Trojan horse has been delivered. I see. Were there any complications? Yes, Dr. Nyhart, there were. About five, in fact, and their family are going to want some answers. Shit, she thought. Casualties in a border skirmish. That wouldn't play well. I'm very sorry to hear that, Secretary. You'll be sorry soon. The cause of death was found wearing a Republic Army uniform on our side of the line. It kept getting worse. She hadn't thought the Secretary was spoiling for all-out war. But she couldn't be sure anymore. However, the body bore United States fingerprints. Prison records identify him as Richard Cutler, a known associate of Agent John M. Shadler, who we presumed to be in Republic custody at this time. It was her plan. All of it, minus the bloodshed. Wendell had brought that part on himself, but she couldn't say that. She couldn't reasonably say anything, so she didn't. The secretary had no such compunction. I am launching a full-scale inquiry through the Justice Department tomorrow morning. Your records and people will be subpoenaed, as will you and Advisor Hockaday. You're going down. If that's the case, then why are you calling me? You really mean to tell me? I mean to tell you that I intend to present my case to the president tomorrow morning. Commence your little probe. Meanwhile, I have launched a larger offensive against the diaspora than you could ever have dreamed possible. Explain your failure to the White House on your own time. Dr. Neidhart, you are seriously mistaken if you believe you can threaten me. As are you. Good night, Secretary. Dazed, she sat in the silent darkness. Her ears rang with the echoes of her words. A reflection across the room looked back at her. A vision of steel and beauty. The woman. It was she who had spoken those words. Issued a challenge to powers beyond her pay grade. Gabriella didn't quite understand, but she knew it was true. The woman in the mirror could take control any time she wanted. She was not sure why the thought didn't frighten her. In fact, it was quite the opposite. Gabriella wanted to give her more power. She wanted to see what the woman would do with it this time. The woman smiled. It was Gabriella's smile, and yet it was not. She lay back down, certain that she was being watched, protected. Her alarm was already set for 6.30. By 8, she would be at the White House. There were only a select few people in the United States, indeed the world, who could get a last-minute appointment with the president. The woman was one. Dr. James Barrett's sole concession to the lateness of the hour was an unbuttoned suit jacket. He only ever took off his tie to sleep and shower. One of the many lessons his father taught him was that decorum could not be switched on and off depending on company. 
was something you either had or didn't. And if you didn't possess it at all times, it was not truly there. Thus it was that when Foch signaled his comm with the customary number of beeps indicating a visitor, Barrett had only to stand and straighten his jacket as the door swung open. Trailing his diminutive assistant was the unmistakably strident form of Brooklyn's new chairman. Not physically large, but a man whose personality stuck out several feet in every direction, occupying the room easily. At least until he reached the event horizon of the doctor's desk. Overtaken by a will to power that dwarfed his own. David, good to see you. And you, doctor? To what do I owe the pleasure? I've been handed some very curious intelligence from the BDF. They do say some interesting things sometimes. What seems to be the trouble? Our field sources report that there was a border clash on the Republic of Texas line just a few hours ago, west of Fort Worth. Hmm. Unusual. One dead Republic soldier and multiple U.S. Army casualties. Republic Army sources say fugitives were recovered in the entry zone from out east. It would seem that the Selden boys are covering the tracks poorly. Nonetheless, it sounds as if they made it. Reports confirm that they were taken into custody. No conclusions as to their identity or whereabouts. No need to ask that. Colonel Haley can be relied upon to deliver them promptly to Dr. Lilly. Trust in that. Weiss gave him a searching look that was simultaneously apologetic. He had been Barrett's pupil for a long time. Though in total control of his public persona, the chairman skimmed over most operational details. Those were left to the experienced advisors. Questions to the most senior among his staff were to be handled respectfully. I trust in your belief that Dr. Lilly is alive. If you weren't, this would be different. I assure you, it takes far more to kill Wayland Lilly than most people could imagine. As I've said before, I understand and respect your misgivings about the manner in which this must be done. It was not my first choice, but then we seldom get all our cards dealt out in the order we might wish. It's a mess out there, Doctor. The VEF are trying to put me over a barrel here, and the wires are bound to be whipped up over Texas. The BDF wants me to activate reserves and bump up positions around the wall. If I do that, Manhattan will follow suit. And who knows where we'll be. Barrett nodded, feigning deference. Let the man come to his own conclusions, he thought. Slow as the process may be. And the press will go nuts? They've got a honey calling from my head already. An armchair revolutionary who makes threats from the anonymous safety of the net is of no concern to a man of substance and honor. I don't like being put in this position. We can't start out this way. It's not what I promised. My friend, you promise precisely what you will deliver. These threats are not of your doing. Hold to your principles and damn the BDF. You must remind them who's in charge. They've never taken orders from anyone but Horowitz. Then they must be taught how to take them from you. The people have spoken. You hold the power of the chairmanship indisputably and without constraint from sniveling bureaucrats. The man I see before me is a hero of the secession. You did not fear command in the heat of battle. Why do you shrink from it now? It's a lot harder to order peace than to order a war. An astute insight. The public responds to action, not idle words. Show them your peace. How? 
Reduce wall perimeter forces by 50%. You must be joking. Your assumptions are all correct. In the absence of visible change, the public will paint you as an empty suit. Or worse, a charlatan. Stun them with your change. Manhattan would be caught off guard. And it will draw out the critics from their burrows. In outrage, they will show themselves and be seen for what they are. Great blistering boils on the Republic's backside. A threat to our stability. But you know, there's no high ground on the outside. Washington might see it as an opportunity. If they do, we will see them coming. Washington couldn't sneak up on a blind mole rat. They can't even capture fugitives within their own borders. Because of the VEF. Who are gunning for me, by the way? Do not for a moment think that the transit of the Seldons was accomplished by the resourcefulness of the Vaughan Elimination Front. You have powerful allies, whether you realize it or not. I understand the reach of the Disciples. This goes well beyond them. We've had this discussion, David. Humanity is moving towards a future it can scarcely comprehend. We are setting that course in motion, and no force will be able to stop it. Look at what has happened already. How many odds have we defeated in just the past few days? You're right. I'm sorry. I... You know, I, I, I'm not anywhere near your intelligence level. I, I get confused by all the plot lines. My dear boy, what you have is so much more valuable to our cause than sheer intellect. We both know there's no way in hell I would have ever gotten the reins of the Council. Yes, you had a bit of my help, but not much. You are the man to lead us into this new era. I'm convinced of that. I have been for many years now. And now a majority of our citizens have concurred. The time for caution has passed. Only the bold can walk this path, David. Only you can do it. You're right, Doctor. As usual. It seems strange, but I haven't quite processed a victory yet. I keep thinking it's an illusion that I'll, uh, I'll wake up and... But that's foolish. I know exactly what you mean. When we completed our first rewire in the Austin lab, and it actually worked, I must say, it took me several weeks to truly believe it. Most great accomplishments seem like dreams until you've seen the reality in action. It won't disappear. It can't. Not once it is believed in hard enough. I believe you. I always do. I, I, I'd better get some rest. I, I have a lot of calls to make tomorrow. Of course. Duty calls. Thank you again. Barrett remained standing until he heard its closing thud. He lowered himself into his chair and eyed the luminous skyline of downtown Brooklyn from his window. He almost believed it himself. And of course there was plenty to believe. Much of it followed quite logically, given the right conditions which was where faith came in, and not the simple beliefs of the disciples. This was a far more specialized form of faith, not in things unseen, but in patterns closely observed at close range. A faith based on history, one man's history in particular. Thumbing on his display, he reread his unsent missive. Truth as Circe, error has transformed animals into men. Is truth perhaps capable of changing man back into animal? He lingered over the send button. Timing was the less scientific part of this enterprise. Data was arriving at a significant delay. With so many moving parts obscured by both distance and obfuscation, 
He could not be sure whether the spark he ignited would blaze a beacon or start a rush for the fire hoses. There was one thing, however, of which he was completely certain. It was the tie that bound him and his former colleague, and it fit like the noose that it was. Control. For all his vaunted selflessness, there was not a single thing in the universe that was more irrefutable than the supposition that Waylon Lilly, from the very beginning, was keeping something to himself. Something he alone could be trusted with, in his own judgment, of course. Many years had passed under Barrett's watchful eye. Theories had come and gone, but one persisted, had withstood interrogation time and again, always at a remove, its shadow only visible to those who knew what to look for. And Barrett had now staked everything upon this penumbral apparition. This vision that, yes, he alone could be trusted with, in his own judgment, of course. The pair of them held the world between their egos, humanity a tightrope walker on a wire stretched taut above the yawning, eternally patient abyss. To hell with it, he thought. A flick of a key sent the message into the Sumerian shade of the net, out of his control. He felt his heart go with it for a moment. It was a familiar sensation, one he shared with the epistle's recipient. Letting go was not an easy thing for either of them. Barrett was counting on that. The halls of the Brooklyn Defense Force headquarters held silence poorly. Cut from solid transmetal, the walls caught every sound and reflected it as far in every direction as the strength of the waves would allow. By now, Eugene Foch was used to the constant background rattle of receptionists, aides, and combat boots. He was also fluent in the workings of its Byzantine undercarriage. Much of it he had learned from Vincent and Barrett, as they regularly tasked him with making end runs around official channels. Brooklyn, the independent entity, was fairly new, as nation-states went, and its administrative apparatus had been thrown together hastily. Critical pieces were tightened over the years by various crises, but more often than not, a splash of aging paint was all that covered haphazard, duct-taped gaps in the infrastructure. It was through one of these holes that he intercepted the message. Barrett had given Foch the task of securing his line to the net, and the young man had done so. The channel was encrypted, accessible only by the doctor and, as a matter of course, his assistant. Foch had been privy to the HPL broadcast for most of his ten years under Vincent's employ. Their cessation came as he moved directly under Barrett, but it wasn't long before the covert net communication started up. The return username in particular was interesting. Urizen. Foch had already guessed its owner's identity, difficult as his conclusion was to believe. He read the most recent message again carefully. The doctor's mode of speaking was difficult to parse. They shared a vocabulary he did not, although with research he had correlated the references enough to know that something very big was afoot. He could also read people well enough to know that neither of the men were completely in control of the situation they spoke of. This alarmed him. Possessing Barrett's implicit trust, it was fairly easy for Foch to track his interactions with Speaker Caravelli, especially now that the doctor was no longer under Horowitz's watchful eye. He learned of the illicit wired patient abductions and a bit about the results of the experiments. Tempting though it was, he did not visit those captives in the ward below. Not until he could complete his workaround for the cell monitoring system. But he would know the truth, one way or another. His father's death in the secession would not be cheapened 
by arrogant hubris. If that made him an animal, he thought, with a mental sneer in his boss's direction, then so be it. Waylon Lilly frowned into his screen. Nothing. Nina had been hooked up to the ODA, and to a variety of other sensory equipment for an hour or more now, and thus far there was nary a blip outside of the normal readings. But then, he thought, with blinding no-shittery, she wasn't a seer. He had never encountered a super-source before, and had no idea what to do with one. The excited tension which had built in the room ever since the experiments began had frayed into frustration. Besides which, both Nina and Dr. Vincent were visibly exhausted from their frightful day, and the clock approached midnight. Then there was, of course, the imminent arrival of the Seldons. The old sergeant would not be in any shape for prolonged study. Lily pressed his hands into his eyes and sighed. I think that's all we'll need from you at the moment, Nina. But we've just barely gotten started. Look, you're both frazzled, and no one can blame you for that. Tomorrow we'll have a seer and more sleep. He's bound to be almost here by now. And from what we know, they were pretty beat up by the crossing. As were you. Well, this is your lab. I defer to your judgment. Thank you, Doctor. Nina allowed herself to relax a bit as Dr. DeLal detached the various sensors affixed to her head. She wasn't quite sure what to expect, but had felt nothing unusual during the tests, and was relieved by that. Dr. Lilly absent-mindedly patted his pocket. He needed a joint. Arshad never cared to get high on the job, but it occurred to Lily that it would be impolite not to ask the guests. Except that Nina would be a subject tomorrow, and it wouldn't be terribly scientific to have the lingering effects of a mind-altering substance in her system while conducting investigations of her brain activity. He put aside his anxiety as best he could, and went in search of Lieutenant Graham. He found her stationed outside the lab, watching the distant lights of the army blockade on the horizon. To his surprise, she was puffing on something. The smoke thickened the frost rising from her mouth. It was the most relaxed he'd seen her. He cleared his throat as if to announce his presence, but of course she had already heard him. There were few other sounds on that cold plain to compete with footsteps on the scrabbly ground. Doctor? What's your brand? Wild Rooster. Cheap, but it takes the edge off. No, that won't do. Here. Wizard people. Nice. I don't suppose this is regulation. Technically, no, but the colonel doesn't do random tests. As long as you do your job well, he pretty much stays out of your business. Captain Perez, however, gets fidgety when he sees people smoking anything. So I wait till I'm off base. Ah, a rebel. No wonder Haley likes you. He likes to rebel up to a point. I'm aware. I'll bet you are. So what's the plan of action when Selden gets here? We have an armored camper we'll set them up in downstairs. You don't have enough room for everybody in the guest quarters, plus the colonel doesn't want Vincent and Sergeant Selden in contact with each other without you present. Well, at least we agree on that. What's their ETA? That's them, on the horizon. Lily clenched as he saw the cluster of lights in the dark distance. He'd been dreading this for days, and here it was, speeding towards him down the rocky drive. There were three vehicles, one of them a large personnel carrier. The other two were no doubt festooned with weaponry, given the morning's events. Today was not a good day, he decided. He followed Graham down into the parking garage. 
convoy pulled swiftly into the underground space below the lab. Behind him, Arshad led Nina and Vincent cautiously out of the door, visibly keeping the older woman behind him as she craned her neck to see. Boots hit the ground hard at the rear of the APC, and three slow-moving bodies were lowered down gingerly. Two were thin and old, the third rather less so on both counts. All of their faces were half-covered by bandages, still red with fresh blood. Whatever clothes they'd been wearing were now replaced with army jumpsuits, and none resisted the assistance of the troops to walk. They were clearly exhausted, and at least mildly injured. So much so that Colonel Haley, no less spent, overtook them and made a beeline for Lily. Colonel? Doctor? Lieutenant Graham says we'll have accommodations shortly. Good. Dr. Lilly, allow me to introduce Sergeant Laura Selden, his son Harry, and Miss Shadler. The Seldens nodded a greeting in a haze of tired befuddlement. The one called Mist, with whom Lily was familiar only through Nina's tale of their voyage, seemed more alert to his surroundings. He cast his gaze around warily. Right, let's go inside until your room's ready. Halfway to the door, Nina sprang forward from behind Delal and half-tackled Mist, whose expression lightened visibly as he fought to stay upright in her embrace. Careful, young lady. I ain't got much left to hold me up against that kind of love. You take it and you like it. I didn't know you were coming back. Neither did we. Nina released her grip on Mist and turned to appraise Harry. He was visibly more weathered than the last time she'd seen him. A bandage wound its way diagonally from the back corner of his jaw, across his nose, and up to his hairline. You're late. Nina let her head fall onto his chest, her arms wrapped gingerly around his waist. He patted her awkwardly on the back, not knowing quite what the two of them were supposed to be outside of the ward. So far, so good, he thought, feeling her warmth through the chill air. I didn't even know you were part of the Exodus. Me either, but I'm kind of glad now. The four chairs around the small kitchen table were given over to Haley, Mist, and the Seldons. Everyone else found a spot on the wall. Nina made herself the hostess and got everyone tea, despite her own fatigue. The air was heavy with tales too big to tell. Lily dared not bring up the fort, for fear of the emotions it could stir up in the colonel, who was not looking well at all. Lars wore a haunted expression, clearly uncomfortable in such proximity to a laboratory. Harry was simply pooped. Meanwhile, Mist remained on edge, his eyes surveying the room, gauging the emotional temperature. It was cold. No one spoke. It occurred to Lily to offer some of his stash, but Haley's presence canceled the thought out quickly. At last, Graham poked her head in, with news that two armored campers were ready downstairs. Haley acknowledged her, turned to Delal. Might I ask that we call this a night? I'm sure we'll all be in better shape with some sleep under our belts. The hint was big enough for the two women to quietly say their goodnights and follow Delal out towards the guest quarters. Haley remained seated, as did everyone else but Lily, who stood by the door nervously regarding the group of rough strangers. I'm going to be blunt, Mr. Shadler. Nobody here has any idea who you are. I know, but you can ask the two ladies in there. I'm on your side. They wouldn't have made it otherwise. That matches Nina's, uh, Miss Golding's account. That's better than nothing. But I'll feel better once the full intel report comes in tomorrow. I would have had it by now normally, but, well. Lily saw a trace of helplessness on the colonel's face. With Levine gone, everything was out of place. There had been no time to process just how much had changed, both for him and the Republic Army Command. The doctor stepped in to fill the gap. 
Mr. Shadler, I think the colonel would feel more comfortable if you stayed in the second camper tonight. I'm sure we'll have all this cleared up in the morning. Thank you, doctor. Colonel, obviously this is your call. You won't get any argument from me. All right, then. Ten hundred hours tomorrow, we'll reconvene. Right now, I'm getting a goddamn shower. The table's occupants rose with him. Mist fell into line behind the colonel, followed by the Seldons. Haley conferred with a squad of troops, who took up positions around one of the campers, into which Mist tottered. Haley and the Seldons slumped into the second one. His hospitality spent, Dr. Lilly got into the Suburban and took off for the house. The ring of military lights polluted the horizon, blocking his normally clear view of the stars. Despite the madness it sometimes drove him to, he was glad to be back in the state of isolation after all the tense meetings. Belatedly, it occurred to him that he hadn't given Arshad any instructions, but his colleague was savvy enough that he had likely put a guard near Vinson. And if he hadn't, Graham surely had. It also dawned on him that there were several squads of army soldiers who now knew the best-kept secret in the Republic, that of his continued existence. He worried a little about that. None of them had looked surprised, but then they were Haley's people. Perhaps rumors would spread through the army. By the time they reached outside that self-insulated community, the story would be too vague to carry much weight among significant others. But maybe not. With effort, he shook off the paranoia. It was of little use to him out here. Whatever forces were at work in the larger world, he was at their mercy, and had been for many years now. There was nothing for the Republic to gain by publicizing their ace in the hole. That, at least, was unlikely to change. Rumbling into his own two-car garage, he once again laughed at himself for taking the keys with him in his pocket. Anyone breaking into his place wouldn't be there for his rusty old truck. With that in mind, he walked over to his dresser and opened a drawer that hadn't been touched in a while. The pistol was still there. It probably needed cleaning, but it was loaded from the last time he'd stood out back, idly blasting beer bottles. He couldn't remember how long ago. Shortly after the escape from Austin, Haley had insisted on weapons training for Washington's most wanted man. He could certainly shoot inanimate objects, and fairly accurately. Tucking it into his pocket, he hoped the test of dispatching live targets wouldn't come anytime soon. He thumbed on the data display, a cursory check in case anything important had found its way into his queue. There was one item flagged, and he saddened a little at its source. An automated alert had been set up to forward any posts by Ahania. The signature on the notification was C.E.L. Curtis Eric Levine. Lily hadn't known the man well, but he knew enough to regret his passing. The sensation was enough to delay his reaction to the post itself, but not for long. He followed the link to its source, and his eyes boggled. Thousands of digital signatures now appended Ahania's petition, many of them sporting lengthy diatribes and less civil tones than the original carefully worded document. One in particular, from someone called Halls of the Machine, jumped out at him. I weep for our community. In the enormous vacuum where Dr. Lilly's leadership once held sway, his disciples have run amok, fashioning a new morality out of whole cloth and ignoring those they once served. Like the corporations, they are now a stateless authority, answerable only to themselves. What are we but lab specimens in their eyes? The moment to reassert control is now. Call upon your elected leaders to demand answers. If they will not act, then we the people must do so. Here are the known office locations of these scientists. The Post went on to list addresses of all those surviving members of the original team, 
and their former students. Arshad's location was given in map coordinates. Lily was aghast. He wanted to shout into the fray. I'm right here. We're trying to help you. Only upon thinking the words did he realize how much worse it could be if these people did know he was alive. The whole Vorn research program had been deliberately hidden from public view, and he was the most adamant proponent of its secrecy. He believed his reasons were good ones. A breakthrough of any kind needed to be replicated and rigorously tested before the disciples or the VEF got wind and used loosely related temporary factoids to bludgeon their opponents with official sources. All of that reasoning was logically sound, but now that he saw the public reaction to the leaked research, he felt a wave of horrendous guilt. Every one of these people had opened up their brains for him, trusting that he and his team knew what they were doing. The truth, of course, was that they did not. And it was this that had gnawed away at his conscience for the past 28 years. It was why he needed another joint right now. He put the thought aside. It wasn't possible to get any more removed from reality than he had been for all of this time. His focus was on the scientific problem as he saw it. The flaw in his design. Concern for the people affected by the glitch was present, yes, but if he was honest, it ranked a distant second in priority. Apart from the fear that the mob would torch his lab while he sought his answers. The lights on the horizon closed in on his subconscious. They're protecting me from the consequences of my own meddling. He willed himself to feel remorse, but that was the only way it came. In truth, what he felt was fear. Not only of the rewired population at large, but of what he had unleashed on the course of human evolution. It sounded pompous, put that way. But it was an inescapable fact. He had created Human 2.0 and did not know what it was capable of. His hands lingered on the keypad. There were many net handles he could use. Counter-arguments could certainly be found already, but none of them would be as informed as any he could provide. He looked again at the name. Ahania. She was doing this covertly with the blessing of the wired world, but he knew it was personal too. After everything, he had rejected her in the end, had recoiled in revulsion to what he himself had accidentally built as it began to spread its wings and gather its strength. It was no wonder she'd walked out. He was a fool. Which was precisely why he signed in as Urizen. His hope was a fool's hope. A vain one at that. But that was him. That naivete was the reason for all of this. And despite that, indeed perversely because of that, he wanted her to know who was speaking. His mind knew it didn't matter. But his heart told him it did. He replied to Halls of the Machine. The truth is rarely pure and never simple. Oscar Wilde. I will speak for those who cannot. Those whose every utterance causes corporations and governments to spin upon their axes. The spirit of truth is alive and well in the rewired scientific community. The very fact that there are not daily dispatches from the lab spread across our diaspora suggests that the minds working on the Vorn Dilemma are not capricious or careless. Indeed, it speaks of great prudence and care. Biological science, like geology, works on a time scale that dwarfs the human attention span. This is precisely why the wire was able to sneak up on us. Total psychology was not an overnight invention, but a conglomeration of slowly accumulated knowledge, 
that ultimately tipped our species into tyranny at the hands of those who controlled access to its channels of deployment. In comparison, the rewired is but an infant child. We do not fully understand what we've become. Though we believe with all our hearts in our right to determine our own biological destiny, we cannot see the canvas from such close range. Truths about our psychological makeup that held strong for millennia have been overturned, and we must plot a new map through the wilderness in which we find ourselves. Would any of us trade this uncertainty for the rigid dictates of the wire? Implicit in revolution is instability, ambiguity, and yes, anxiety, which we see in its panoply of forms on the net tonight. But I ask you to regard with caution the words of those who would promise quick and easy answers. This approach is not consistent with the exacting standards of the scientific method to which we owe our freedom. Before we allow our myopia to send us running into the flames of chaos, we must first consider our obligation to those who will come after us. To the future, we owe caution over instant gratification. To history, we owe a truly complete accounting of all our discoveries and their import. And to ourselves, we owe patience. If we are wise, that is a virtue we will exercise when regarding the actions of our scientists. Without their ability to freely explore the parameters of this new reality, our answers may never come at all. A world of concrete certainty exists just beyond our borders. Unless we wish to rejoin it, we must remake our expectations of what is known and what is not. If we are lucky, our grandchildren will have more answers than we do, and they will be thankful that we held fast in our resolve for truth over comfort. Lily sat back in his chair, winded. It was the truth, so far as he knew it. And yet he disliked the undercurrent of fear in his words. He recognized how they could be seen by the disenfranchised. Trust us, we know what we're doing. He knew well what his own reactions to similar sentiments were. The irony of such assurances in the face of his own ignorance on the born problem slapped him like a glove across the face. And yet, what was the alternative? Unending scrutiny by layman overseers, driven by public opinion polls based on the talking points of the day, driven by Ahania, and who knew how many other wired voices lurking on the net. He had chosen the lesser evil. Hitting sin on the keypad, he cast his lot with faith in the elite. But rubbing his eyes and heading for bed, he sighed as he considered the fact that the elite included him. A memory arose from the dusty depths of dorm room 23B. Dr. Antichrist, whose most recent missive in the queue had been deliberately ignored in favor of Gabriella's. Lily remembered a quote from a speech Barrett made for class on the economist Ludwig von Mises. Innovation is the whim of an elite before it becomes the need of the public. Odd that he could remember that, but not the last time he had slept. Throwing himself on the bed, he let the weight of this day and the uncertainty of the next take him into oblivion.
been listening to the Naive Theater of the Air performance of Rewired, featuring Petra Wright as Dr. Gabriella Neidhart, Thomas Spencer as Secretary Wendell, Derek Davis as Dr. James Barrett, Austin McDonald Scott as Chairman David Weiss, Ed Rogers as Dr. Waylon Lilly, Trista Morris as Nina, Mana as Dr. Romana Vinson, Hillary Tips as Lieutenant Stacy Graham, Keegan McEnroe as Colonel Levi Haley, Benjamin Napier as Mist, Levi Ray as Harry, and Jacob Furr as Halls of the Machine. Written and narrated by Matthew Broyles. Theme music by Paul Shapira. I'm Little Jack Melody. Tune in next time for episode 19, The Rise of Ahania.